What was it like to found a startup dedicated to building EV fleet charging hubs after nearly a decade of leading energy strategy for Google? In this Greenlight episode, I will speak with the brilliant Neha Palmer, CEO at Terawatt Infrastructure, who had the foresight to anticipate the future real estate, operational, and interconnect needs of EV fleets across the country. Fast forward to today, and Terawatt has properties in 18 states, just completed a large EV hub project near LAX, and has key partnerships with companies like South Korea's SK Signet. Neha will also talk about how she started her career as a gas engineer at PG&E and an associate at Goldman Sachs before transitioning into cleantech, as well as her advice for those looking to join the cleantech industry. Thanks for tuning into The Green Light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I'm really, really excited to have Neha Palmer uh, join me from San Francisco. She is the CEO at Terawatt. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, and so uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Jake Sussman, who introduced us, uh, somebody that uh, we both think very highly of. Um, he's doing some really great work with Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable and Ambient Fuels. So thank you, Jake. Uh, so can you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your current role at Terawatt? Yeah, great to great to be here today. Uh, so I am the co-founder and CEO of Terawatt Infrastructure. We provide EV charging solutions really focused on fleets, um, mm -hmm. any kind of fleet really, so light duty, heavy duty, but we really like to provide what we call the complex charging case solution. So uh, where you have the, lots of vehicles in one location or you have very large scale vehicles like semi-trucks that require high power needs, we're here to provide a full stack solution. And that means we can provide the space, so the real estate for charging, uh, that large interconnect that many of these sites require to charge many vehicles at one time, all the onsite infrastructure, chargers, energy elements like storage and solar, and then running it reliably. And that's a real big distinction for fleets versus other kind of public facing charging. Uh, they need super high levels of reliability. And so we're building the capability to deliver that as well. That's great. I want to talk next about your transition into clean tech. So this is something that I'm kind of obsessed with, like everybody's sort of career journey into this space. And I know that you started your career as a gas engineer with PG&E and then worked briefly at Goldman. How did you make your way into clean energy? Kind of funny because as a gas engineer back when I started, that was the clean fuel. Um, right. <laughs> this talk of conversion to LNG for yeah. vehicles. Um, it was certainly cleaner than coal at the time, right? Which was the main fuel for power plants. And it was really at the time of that big transition. So um, it was kind of like in my mind from the beginning of my career. But what really pushed me to that transition was when I was at Goldman, um, we were working through helping a lot of our clients think through uh, some compliance that they were going to have with respect to some really big um, goals for utilities in terms of converting their power fleets from coal to gas and right. reducing the amount of emissions. So that kind of planted the seed in my mind. And then I had this opportunity to actually go back to PG&E and work on the first very large scale renewable energy projects. So we're talking about 500 plus megawatt solar farms, um, really large wind farms at the scale that had never really been built before um, right. with all kinds of technology. So um, PV, um, thin film, uh, power towers, uh, tubes, um, you know, I got to see all of it and was really at 
that ground floor of when the industry really started to scale up. So that was my first foray. And I've kind of always kind of maintained that thread focused on clean energy throughout. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of synergies with your EV journey now, right? So you're like sort of seeing it like you did back in the day with solar and wind, like seeing it right from that ground up. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's interesting is there's a huge compliance issue as well. Uh, Both industries face that kind of drove a lot of the innovation and driving the cost curves down. Anyone who's been in solar or wind knows what those cost curves have done over the last 10, 15 years. Um, We're at that point with EVs as well. The battery costs are coming down over time. Innovation and technology is making things more efficient. So very similar types of trajectories that we expect with EVs that we saw with large scale renewable energy. Um, It's a really exciting time for the industry. You were the head of energy strategy at Google for close to a decade. What was that like and what kind of projects did you focus on there? Yeah, I mean, it was a really amazing role, obviously for an amazing company um, and a real great platform to start to think about how do we make corporations participate and how do they actively participate in a way that's beneficial to them and renewable and clean energy. So data centers use large amounts of electricity. Um, So they require a couple of things from the energy perspective. Uh, They require obviously big interconnects. So working with utilities, energy suppliers, grid operators to get that interconnect, um, which is also a real big part of renewable energy projects as well, right? Right. Uh, Maybe from the opposite side where data centers are looking for power and that interconnect uh, for that large amount of power, obviously renewable energy is focused on providing that to the grid. So source versus sink. Um, But also, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were being real thoughtful about our carbon footprint. Um, It is the biggest portion of most uh, data center companies' carbon footprints. And so being thoughtful about how we could start to reduce that carbon footprint. So along with scaling up, you know, we when I started, we were eight. Uh, data centers on two continents. When I left, we were dozens on multiple continents, yeah. um, really thinking about how we could match all of that growth with renewable energy. So we got the company to 100% renewable energy using a lot of the tools that I learned with those uh, first really big renewable projects at PG&E. Um, so the corporate PPA became something really commonplace over that time. We had done some of the first ones of those, but really scaled the program around that. Also Mm -hmm. working directly with utilities who were supplying us energy to sleeve through renewables. Um, And then towards the end, really thinking about, okay, how do you time match all this with the concept of 24-7 carbon-free energy? So it was a really great uh, journey. I got to work with so many different grid operators and energy suppliers across the globe um, and honestly prepared me for what I'm doing now. So the stack of infrastructure that I mentioned that Terawatt provides, you know, land, interconnect, on-site infrastructure and reliable operations is the exact same infrastructure stack that you need for a data center. So really prepare me well well for what I'm doing now. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question about the foundation of Terawatt. So can you just talk a little bit more about those services and and why, but also why you decided to find the company? Yeah. So I think maybe I'll take that in reverse order. You know, we Mm -hmm. saw, and my co-founder saw before I even joined, Uh, a really big opportunity uh, with respect to EV charging, especially for these large vehicles with large large batteries. If they're all charging simultaneously, they need large amounts of power in a very specific location. So these locations have to be where 
they are either traveling past or they tend to domicile in. So think of things like warehouse hubs and then along highway corridors. So the concept was really started with the land. Like we have to find these locations. We don't know when this transition is going to happen. Um, it's still in the you know early stages of this, but they were thinking about this back in 2018 and 19. So really assembling a portfolio of real estate assets that would be suitable for developing EV charging when that time came. Um, so, you know, take fast forward to 2020, um, I started talking with them and it was really apparent with commitments from some of the big corporations around reducing supply chain carbon emissions right. tied to, uh, you know, heavy duty trucking and things like that, um, that the time was now this, you know, fleet charging need was going to be apparent pretty soon. And it takes a while to develop these projects. So, um, you know, I saw the need, uh, I saw that it was a stack of infrastructure. So this, you know, real estate piece is one thing, but also just working with those utilities that can take time that interconnect and then all of the onsite infrastructure and ops. And so, um, I started the company because I saw the vision of what had to be assembled and it's super complex. It's not something that a fleet manager is familiar with talking to right. authority, thinking about kilowatts or thinking about gallons of diesel normally. So I just right. saw that it was a big opportunity to help this industry transition and also just a gap that was going to exist with the customers and their uh, know-how and understanding. So uh, that was really the impetus to start the company. Um, you know, and I think we've seen um, over the last two years that there has been this transition and these fleets are now reaching out and saying, I did my first pilot with my first two vehicles, mm -hmm. but as I start to scale up, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need help. And that's right. where we're today. Right. So can you talk a little bit more than about the services that sure. you offer? So we uh, have our portfolio of real estate assets. So we're right. able to have these locations that are, you know, real proximate to some of these big customers' locations. Right. Uh, we are able to work with the utility and bring the large amount of power to that site we can provide uh, development and construction services at that site. So it can be developed on a built-to-suit basis for a specific customer. Um, we can develop sites that are multi-tenant. So you might have uh, you know, multiple customers with a base of operations that's proximate to one of our sites that they're able to share infrastructure. Um, that actually reduces the cost significantly for them. Um, and then we're able to operate these sites reliability reliably. Um, that is actually not a small feat. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really nascent industry. Um, the hardware is just starting to become more sophisticated. The software systems need to be uh, you know, developed over time also for this heavy duty use. And so we're working on making sure we have the capability to operate them at the high uptime that these fleets require. So I think of the four things that we provide are real estate, you know, that working with the utility, working with uh, the construction and development process, um, working through the hardware selection mm -hmm. and installing all of that. And mm -hmm. then obviously um, managing all of the energy services um, that you would have as a really large energy consumer and the reliable operations. Great. What are some of the projects you're most proud of at TerraWatt? Yeah, so we had a really exciting thing happen a couple of weeks ago where we had a shovel ceremony for a site that we are building near LAX, the airport. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a five minute drive from the airport and it's a site that will have uh, 20 plus heavy uh, uh, DCFC, so really fast chargers for um, rideshare and taxi fleets. 
um, that are serving customers coming in and out of the airport. But this will allow, um, hopefully, a lot of EVs to start serving the airport in a real efficient way for them. Uh, it's proximate to the airport, so they're not going out of their way to charge. Right. And the customers that we've engaged with those fleets have the capability to know that when they drive up, they're going to have chargers available. They're going to have the power level and reliability that they need for those chargers or for that charging session. Um, and so they're able to start to plan a lot more capacity in their fleets with EVs. So that one's super exciting. Um, yeah. We have a project that we're working on near the port of Long Beach. Mm -hmm. um, on the heavy duty side that will have, um, you know, over a dozen heavy duty chargers to power semi trucks. And uh, I mentioned compliance earlier, starting in mm -hmm. January of next year, a lot of the vehicles coming out of the port will have to increasingly be transitioned to EVs and zero emission vehicles. So there's a real need that's coming up pretty quickly. And yeah. we'll be able to turn that site up early next year, which is really exciting to help, you know, our customers who are struggling with okay, I will have to get these vehicles, but once I get them, how am I going to charge them? Because it does take, you know, 12, 18 months longer to develop these sites. Are most of your projects focused on California? So we do have properties across 18 states. Um, you know, we know that these are moving assets. They're going to move everywhere. Um, California certainly is where the bulk of the activity is right now, um, right. driven by a couple of things, driven by some of the compliance obligations, um, driven by density. The densest freight corridor in the U.S. is between the port of Long Beach and Phoenix, which obviously a huge portion wow. of that is through uh, California. Uh, one of the biggest warehouse hubs is called the Inland Empire, which is in Southern California. So we see a lot of the fleets piloting their vehicles, their first DVs in this region. Right. Um, and so a lot of the activity is there, but really quickly, we're starting to hear about other regions, um, Arizona with Phoenix and then Texas also. And the drivers are, you know, in Texas, there is something called the Texas Triangle, where the distances between those three major cities is really relevant with how the range is for some of the heavy duty trucks that are available today. So you right. start to see that transition proliferating across the U.S. Right. Uh, are there any key partnerships that you all have formed doing these projects? Yeah, so we obviously have a real important piece of our stack, which is the charging hardware. Right. Um, and so we have formed a few partnerships with respect to that. Um, with Signet is one charging provider. You know, we are, we say hardware agnostic, but not uh, provider agnostic. We want to have right. partners who are going to work with us. I mentioned we're still learning about how this hardware needs to perform for fleets, especially right. a lot of the hardware to date has been focused on public facing charging for passenger vehicles. So working with companies like them is really helpful as we think through things like firmware, software, uh, the interaction with the hardware. And so those partnerships really matter, not only from a supply chain perspective, but also just developing this technology over time. Um, they're going to be really critical to how we grow. Right. What are some of the things that you're most looking forward to working on uh, at Terrawatt in the years to come? I think that the network is going to be so importantly critical for these right. to be able to grow. So, you know, I think about the customer journey. They often pilot a few vehicles on their site and they definitely want to have charging at their base of operations. And that is another solution we can provide. I mentioned that full stack. They may have a site, but they don't know how to work with the utility or do the development construction, and then they need help in the operations. We can also help them what we call behind the fence on their side of operations. But if you look as the trajectory goes on, as they have more and more EVs, they really do need 
space. Um, oftentimes their space of operations already is fully packed with what they're doing. Right. So adding charging operations would be disruptive. Um, they need power. And oftentimes they're in, you know, a uh, rented space where the landlord doesn't want to bring that kind of investment to the site. So the second kind of step I see is where they branch out into things that are not happening on their site, but happening either adjacent or on a route that they travel often. So, you know, right. we call maybe built a suit next to them, um, you know, or on route and eventually over the road, these long highway distances, as the vehicles start to have more and more range, they'll start to travel, you know, 500 plus miles. And so need charging along these highway corridors. So I think of that as the customer network they need for their routes. Okay. Where do right. I need to have all of this infrastructure? I'm super excited about building this network of networks and really using the terawatt network, which would be our, you know, our, all of our land sites where either it's a customer charging on their own, you know, in a joint tenancy situation yeah. or extending their range. And I think that network and building it out is going to be super exciting to see that someone can go from, you know, Port of Long Beach all the way to Texas on our mm -hmm. network. I'm super excited to see that one day. I'm excited to do, I have it in my mind, the road trip I'm going to take uh, where I get in a truck and ride with someone from the port of Long Beach all the way to Texas. Uh, really one charge. In one I, charge. One charge. We'll have to stop and charge <laughs> along the way, but we'll stop and charge at terawatt stations along the way. We'll, that'll be really we'll satisfying. Get, we'll get there one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That, that'll be a really quantum battery, but yes. Yeah. Well, I love a couple of things that you said, like building the network of networks and behind the fence. I mean, how many times I hear behind the meter, behind the meter, behind the meter. It's nice to hear um, another terminology. I, I like that uh, behind the fence that, uh, that uh, gives me a good visual there. Um, what are some of the top challenges do you feel that are facing fleet electrification? Gosh, you know, there, there are a <laughs> number of dimensions and I will say, I you know, list some things, but I think that they're getting better every, every year. Yeah. Um, you know, two years ago, the challenge was I don't have any trucks. I can't get the trucks. They're not coming off the assembly line. They're late. That is largely quelled at this point. I do think that anybody who wants to buy a battery electric vehicle can do it. And, mm -hmm. and that was a challenge across light duty and heavy duty. Um, certainly on the light duty side, there's so many more models available and coming off lines um, in mass that um, those fleets are pretty excited of the optionality they have. And even on the heavy duty side, you see more and more um, OEMs you know, delivering those trucks. So that's exciting, um, but it continues to be a challenge, right? They're building these lines for the first time. Um, they will have stop starts as they start to scale their programs. So I think just the supply from that side, the cost is still higher than a traditional vehicle. And we talk about something called the total cost of operation. Um, the data back from the light duty segment is that um, it's 50 to 60% less cost to operate once you have the vehicle, an EV versus a ICE vehicle in a fleet. So that long-term operational cost kind of going away um, can mitigate a higher upfront cost. But a lot of these fleets don't have that experience to be able to say, okay, I can make the higher upfront investment. So I think, you know, the, the cost trajectory has to come down and it will uh, mention the, you know, uh, correlation with renewable energy. We all see that with EV and battery electric vehicles as well. Um, right. I think, you know, putting these sites together takes time. It takes capital it takes know-how and it takes working with the utility and all of those things can lend themselves to very long timelines. Um, we're talking in some cases, three plus years for very large sites. So I do think um, making sure that the charging is keeping up with 
all these vehicles as they roll off the line yeah. and they start to get adopted is going to be really um, important for us to, you know, really lean in on. Um, and I'm super excited for our business because I think that'll be uh, core to that, but it's a huge industry and we're going to need lots of players to to help support that. So I think those are the, the major challenges. Um, and there is just the traditional adoption curve, right? Like it is not disruptive, but it's something new that they have to learn in terms of folding it into their operations. And they've been running these ice fleets for over a hundred years now. So right. transitioning to EVs is something that they'll have to, you know, ingest. Right. Um, do you have any advice for those looking to transition into clean tech from like other industries or maybe mobility more specifically? Yeah. The first thing is we need you. Um, anyone, you're an expert in this. Hiring in this industry just knows how much demand there is. And yeah. so, you know, we have these folks at Terawatt who are super passionate about being in sustainability, being in clean tech. And so we've been able to take people whose skills are very transferable, whether it's software engineers or finance right. people or even construction and say, right. there's very relevant things that you know that apply to our business. So um, we need you is the first thing. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing is, you know, I think it's um, really important to understand um, the industry. And so if there is some place that you think that you uh, want to learn more, especially on the energy side, like working at a utility is a really great ground, you know, grounding yep. in terms of learning so many different aspects of energy. So maybe I'm a, a biased there having worked at the utility straight out of college, but you know, that really was a great proving ground to understand so many different aspects because it is not just the technology, it's the regulatory scheme that you sit in. It is, um, you know, all of the different things that are really important to the industry, like interconnect is really about technology, but it's also about rate structure right, and right. what tariffs are. So I think that can be really helpful, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's don't be shy. Like there are so many ways that the industry is opening up uh, that skills are very transferable. And we're at a moment where companies are very open to, you know, allowing people to learn on the job, the pieces that are focused on the industry, but really making sure that we're, opening the aperture to folks who are passionate, number one, I think that's really important um, to have successful employees, but also, you know, we just have a huge need. And so, um, you know, I also see bringing in expertise from other industries has been really helpful to our industry. So um, our higher technology comes from a company called Spot Hero, which does parking. You know, yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great service, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's yeah. a lot of relevancy with what he's built there. Parking is a big part of charging. And so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of cross corollary um, things that you can bring in from other industries too. I'm just so glad that you said that. And I'm so glad that you said it without me like prompting you to say it because I have, again, this like, you know, I get these bees in my bonnet things that I get, you know, very worked up about. And one of them is, is, is bringing in diversity, but people in, in general um, into the clean energy industry and how important it is uh, to have different people from different uh, backgrounds and, and, and schools of thought. And I think that they're, I'm great. You know, I'm so grateful to you and Tara Watt for being open to that because I don't think actually a lot of companies are yet open to that. And one thing I said, earlier today in another um, interview I was doing was I think the companies that are open to all this amazing talent from other industries, those early adopters of those people are the ones that are going to benefit the most because there's just such amazing talent on the market and they want so desperately to be part of this clean energy transition. Okay. 
exactly. And I think you can't discount that passion, right? When someone is actively making a big career switch to come into, you know, this area, um, they're super excited and that's going to be a really great employee to have. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you so much for sharing your uh, story with us and for all that you're doing for our industry. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the largest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry-leading clean tech companies first post new openings. From development to finance to project management by checking out our website dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. If you're a clean tech employer and need help scaling your workforce efficiently with top tier candidates, contact me directly on LinkedIn.